how do you move away from some of the behaviours which are less collaborative? So I use a little simple exercise called foxes, dolphins, um, baboons and sheep. And really it's the top two, the foxes and dolphins. That's the leadership stuff. And you can either be a fox or a dolphin in leadership. So, so foxes tend to be quite competitive. They want to win. They're, they are very intelligent creatures. Um, but they, are, they, you know, they have a, a reputation of being quite sly because they don't tell you really what's going on. And in days of old, and, and in lots of small micro-business, you do get fox leaders. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal of what it takes to start and grow a business fast. It's all about earning the right, where we work hard today, so we can reap the reward tomorrow. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Mike Maloney. Hey, hey, welcome back. I'm Clive Maloney and boy, do I have a good show for you today. Today we have my friend and mentor, Andrew Jenkins. I met Andrew quite some years ago, actually, on my NLP diploma course. This was a program I did with the Coaching Academy. That's a really superb trainers there. Andrew was one of them. And actually, he was the guy that I really felt that I connected with. There's a lot of exceptional trainers there at the Coaching Academy. Um, some really good consultants. Uh, but Andrew was the one that, for me, I really felt that I resonated with. And uh, this guy has been a great pull for me. I've been following him for quite some time afterwards, gently stalking him. And it's been nice over the years to see what Andrew's been up to and uh, just you know, kind of keep a tabs on him. Uh, we're mostly connected via social media these days, but we do speak from time to time. And um, yeah, it's great to have him on the show today because we are talking about his new book or more specifically, the subject of his new book, which is all about developing high-performing teams. Andrew has had exceptional experience leading teams of all shapes and sizes through change and through workforce development. There's a lot of practical advice in this episode. Just like the book, actually, it's just full of practical strategies and tactics that you can put in in place. And there's a lot of uh, models as well like Jahari Window and some of the tools that I regularly cover in mastermind and coaching sessions with people because they work. Uh, so uh, we're going to be mentioning some of those things today. One of the things we're going to be talking about as well is to create a project charter, which is something that is going to put your team in the right frame of mind and create the right climate for good performance. And that's one of the things that we're going to be doing today. But lots of good stuff coming up. And because we are talking about some practical things that you can take away and do, like the Project Charter, what I've done is put together a cheat sheet. You can get that off my show notes page at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 35. So head on over there and that's where you'll find it. So you can either head on over there now and pick that up or wait to the end of the episode and pick it up afterwards. I'll remind you. But right now, let's dig into the interview. Here's me talking to Andrew Jenkins of PBX Consulting. Andrew, before we get going, talking about developing your dream team, I just want to say this book that you sent me, Developing High Performing Teams, this is your second book, isn't it? That's right, yeah. The previous book was 320 pages. (laughs) (laughs) That was brilliant. That was uh, just said. (laughs) You are more than you think. Um, And I wondered if I was going to be shortchanged. 88 pages (laughs) in this (laughs) second book, Developing a High Performing Team. And it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's gone down really well, actually. The marketplace is really enjoying it. 
Um, it's selling really, really well. I think because it's it's a very practical book, it's a straightaway book, it's small enough to fit in your jacket pocket, so business people like it because they can travel with it. And there's a heck of a lot of people that have said that to me, actually. And it's got, as you've noticed, the practical exercises on each. It, it's divided into several sections, and, and each section has um, a reference to my website that you can pick up those particular exercises. You can download them. You can run them yourself if you want to. Um, you know, so so it's all free. Um, so I think that's a, you know, I think that's a, a pretty good value for value for money, really. And uh, and people people have used it all over the world so far. It's been really great. It's found its way into Australia, New Zealand. Um, I, I did some seminars on it in America. Um, we trialed it in Africa um, before I wrote the book. So yeah, it's come around the planet. Really, it's going really well. That's brilliant. Yeah. And I love the fact, as you say, it's got a load of exercise and activities. So basically you can read through it. It's no, there's no fluff. It's all practical, how you do this and, you know, things that you should know. And so, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. We'll, what we'll do is we'll put a link on the show notes page so you can go to your website and you can get all those exercises, the graphs and the things like that that you've got there. So it's wildly useful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's supposed to get a good editor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it does, but uh, you, obviously you did the work here, so well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just being driven by this by my editor, who was um, who was a real slave driver, but it was an excellent process, and you know, it got published within what um, I took. It took a couple of months, two three months to write, I think two two months to write, and then about six months to produce. So uh, pretty good, really. Well, yeah, absolutely. Considering I've been thinking about writing a book for years and never got around to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pen to paper. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so I want to get into this. Uh, what we're going to be doing is taking some of the themes from your book here, Developing High Performance Teams. And this is part of the Authority Guide series. Yeah. So today we're going to be looking at developing your dream team and what it takes for us to be effective leaders. Okay. How we can be the types of leaders and business owners that are actually deserve this dream team that we want to create for our business. Mm. So probably a good place to start might be to talk about where do people go wrong? So if we're thinking about a small business and you know we're, we're building a team, perhaps we're, we're looking at our first few hires. What do you think are the biggest mistakes when it comes down to putting together your team and developing them? Okay, so so several things that go wrong really in building teams. One is obviously recruiting the right people. That's that's actually quite hard um, to get right because you know people interview differently from what, how they work. I find so so that, that's always one challenge. So you know I think bringing people on a trial basis, particularly micro businesses, actually is quite important to see. You know, do they take on? To, you know, are they a fit for the work? Are you a fit um, for them? Are they a fit for you? Um, you know, the trial period, I think, is, is quite a valuable thing to work through. Even in large organisations, it's the same thing. When I joined 3i, um, they gave me um, six months to settle in and then I had a big interview. But if I passed the interview, I got a 3% pay rise, which was the incentive. But if I didn't, then it would be goodbye. And actually, I thought that was a really good arrangement because it just, just meant that um, you know, there was an incentive for me to... Uh, um, you know, to do well but equal, and to settle in. But equally, if I wasn't going to settle in, there was a get-out-of-jail card for both of us. That was like a six-month probation period for you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, and I think the same thing can be done with, with any business, actually. You just need to negotiate it properly. I think the other thing is to have those, those important conversations as well when things aren't working and to have feedback 
Um, and most people are frightened of feedback, and, and that's what I think causes one of the reasons why teams um, don't perform as well as they should do um, is because we're not giving each other feedback, both upwards and downwards, and having that climate of um, you know, allowing feedback to happen both ways. Um, you know, and regular reviews are important for people in businesses. Um, and to have those sincere and honest conversations with, um, you know, with people in your team is, is really important. So I think that's another area where people go, where, where things go wrong. And, and linked to that, um, another reason why things go wrong for me is that um, conflict isn't handled very well. So, um, you know, if there's no resilience to conflict within, within a team, then, um, you know, or even a micro-business where the leader isn't that um, comfortable with giving or handling conflict all the other way around, then um, things can go wrong really, really quickly. So, you know, a resilience to handle conflict. And all of these things aren't natural. They need to be taught. And so, you know, a coaching in a small organisation is as important as a large organisation to get people to be... Um, to communicate effectively, so feedback, um, you know, handling conflict, being able to trust one another, um, having honest conversations. These things are really, really important for uh, coaching into organisations. So I think you know, things that th- those are sort of areas where, where things can go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny you're talking about a six-month probationary period. That's quite long, isn't it? Well, I mean, you can cut it down to three or or four if it's a smaller business. You know, if you need, you know, I think those are those are kind of, you know, whether it's three months, six months, nine months. You know, um, it's just something that needs to be agreed up front. And I think that's important. Mm. I, I think other reasons why people go wrong, particularly at leadership level, is they go it alone. Um, you know, I know best type mentality. So more about ego talking, and rather than um, you know thinking, actually, I've got another human being in front of me here. Who's, who's got a family, who's got, you know, brothers and sisters maybe, you know, certainly got mum and dad probably, you know, do, do you know I mean? so, so we're all human at one level and it's very easy to go alone or I know best but not think about the person who's working with you. And I think that's really important in teams that we start to understand one another, you know, regardless of position. Um, you know, another thing that people go wrong on is we don't need development. So just talking about the things that we've just said about conflict, going it alone, I know best. <clears throat> All of these things can be, they need to be taught, and that's about development. So if companies don't invest in their own development, then um, you know, that's where things start to, to, to go wrong, in my opinion. And that's at all levels within an organisation, small or large. Yeah. And, or I can't afford it. Well, actually, you probably can't afford not to. You know, it's well worthwhile getting somebody to work alongside your organisation and you know, to round those, those corners off. You know. and, and the other thing is that you know, change is always around the corner and things change all the time. So you've got to be fairly light-footed as well in an organisation. And then, you know, that whole thing about toxic people that we kind of, we didn't necessarily talk about, but, you know, we, we, um, we, we, we mentioned, well, what happens if the person that you um, interview doesn't, doesn't really work well for you and turns out to be a toxic person? It's, it's how do you then have those conversations to either turn things around or to get that person to exit the business? Yeah, yeah. So there's loads of stuff in there, isn't there? The conflict uh, management or conflict handling. Uh, yeah feedback, how you actually get people on board. And, you know, I was, I was, as I say, I was particularly interested to hear you talk about six-month probationary period. It seems to me that a lot of businesses are now extending their probationary periods a lot longer now. Um, certainly uh, when I used to be uh, in local 
local government, it used to be like a two-month probation period, but I'm hearing more and more uh, longer probationary periods because people really want to get it right. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think six months actually isn't a long time, but it's a long enough to get a judgment on um, for, for both parties to, to settle into an organisation. Um, you know, it, it takes time. It's a new culture. It's new people. People take time to kind of settle in, and I think six months is a is a fair is 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 a you know, quite fair. Some people make it longer, you know, it could be nine months. But you know, people want to know that they've got a full time job at the end of it. So going a year or nine months is probably unfair for the employee. But um, so you know, I think people want to know that you know, am I employed or aren't I? Have I got an employee or haven't I? Yeah. So I think ways it works quite well to shorten that. I mean, I heard the other day in America that um, Trump is bringing in some new uh, legislation to make it, um, you know, if people aren't working out in, in, in the government area, that they've got a 30-day trial period and they can be exited within 30 days. I'm not sure that will work out very well. I think you've got to give people a chance, personally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody coming new into a job, there's, there's going to be a learning curve there. And uh... It's very difficult to assess someone's skills when they're first coming in and, you know, they're, they're feeling uncertain, they don't know where they fit within the team, and all of that has a big impact on skills and performance when they're still settling in. I, I agree, and I, I think one of the kind of magic bullets there, you know, is there something that, you, you know, what, what could help in that situation? I remember, you know, when I, again, when I was working with 3i, my, the manager who, who brought me in, he was brilliant, actually. He was, he was only interim at the time, but he was one of those guys that just had it right, you know, and he said, look, I know you're settling in. We're going to give you, you know, I've, I've got this settling in um, uh, program for you. Um, and we just, I went to these sort of people within this sort of time period. Um, you know, there was a number of things on there, you know, meeting people, talking to people, getting an idea of the business, going out um, with, uh, with, with, with people that, that are at the sharp end of the business. Um, and, and also he gave me a very small project. And actually, funny enough, he said to me, look, um, this project, uh, I've employed several people very recently and you're the third person who's had this project. The other two didn't deliver it. Um, but I'd like you to deliver it. And I was the only one who delivered that project. I did it within, within three or four months. I delivered that project. It was my first little deliverable. And it was great to cut your teeth on a real project, something that actually other people had failed at and I had succeeded. And that helped me to, to gain a reputation in, in that business for, you know, um, for uh, delivering something. And, and actually I got a lot of respect for that because you know, to the people that I was friends with in the organisation in the end, you know, they, 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 quite, they put their hands up and said, well, well, I didn't manage it. So, you know, it, it gained a bit of respect and it's good to have something to cut your teeth on. That was, a, that was he was a brilliant manager who, who actually you know, helped me to settle in. He realised, you know, it's a difficult period settling into a high-performing organisation. So, you know, how can, we, how can we assist you? And I thought that was a good plan you know, a plan to, to settle into an organisation. Yeah, I, I think that sort of it leads us on to a, a sort of more broader question, really, in terms of what does it take to, uh, to lead a small team in a micro business? That's most of the, most of the people who are listening here are probably going to be, have small to micro businesses. Yeah. Is it different to managing and leading a team in a larger business? I think in smaller businesses, everybody counts, I think. 
Um, you, know, you could argue that in the same as big organisations. I tend to find that in larger organisations, you can hide behind you know lots and lots of hierarchies or um, you know, things move that bit slower. But in a smaller organisation, things things move really quickly. And the interaction of people, um, I think, is even more important in micro businesses than in larger businesses. And I think there are four major competencies that you know you could that around climate really. How do you set the climate correct? for a micro business or, or any business for that matter. But, you know, in a small business, I, I think you know, the relationships are key and, um, you know, the ability to get on with one another, understand each other, will help that organisation to, to, to succeed. And that's around building trust, it's around conflict, it's around feedback and it's around collaboration. And that forms the climate of, of any small organisation, I think. And, and then later to build a kind of common language that, that develops the culture of that organisation because culture is always built by people. So I, I think, you know, there's, there's a start off a 10, if you like, or start off a four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so let's just go through that again. Yeah. This is about building trust. That would be yeah. the first thing. Yeah. Handling conflict. Yeah. Taking feedback. Yeah. And growth like uh, growth values, how we collaborate, the culture and the climate. Yeah, so so collaboration is the first step before you get to 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 culture, if you like. But you know, you you need to understand how do we collaborate together. What are the rules for collaboration? And in small businesses, hierarchy is less important. So people need to get on and, and work together well. And I think that when we can collaborate, magic happens. Um, and that's true for small teams as it is large teams. Harder to do in larger teams and bigger organisations because there's just more people and there's there's more red tape to go through. But you know, small organisations. Actually, you can make it really quickly if you learn to collaborate well. And, and you know, all of those four factors are, are important in the collaboration piece, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder if we can just break it down there, Andrew, with the first one, you've got build trust. Yeah. Of course, we want our employees to trust us and we want to be able to trust our employees. But how do we go about doing that? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, it's an interesting, um, it's, it's an interesting point. And, Actually, what I found is is that some of the most the simplest ways of building trust are so important. I, I think just just spending time at the business, which is almost like well, for a small business, it's it's a, it's a kind of mindset thing. You mean to say we've got to spend time outside our business? Developing yourselves actually is a, is really important, and to spend time with one another and to build um, you know, to build trust actually really pays dividends you know, although, um, you know very, a number of small businesses that I've worked with have come well, we've never had a day out together you know we just don't do that kind of stuff you know it's all about work but but actually you know it's important to make time to develop and trust is one of those things that you can that you can do in a in a kind of an away day climate very very well for instance um I use a process called appreciative inquiry, which is um, a very old process, but it's basically storytelling in simple ways. There's, there's a very simple process to it, is you just take it in turns to tell each other backstories about yourself, things that challenge you, things that were difficult, things about your growing up that um, were, were tricky, you know, but actually formed you. And it's really interesting when you have those kind of conversations, how honest people start to get, you know, and the pervading sort of I've done this with lots and lots of teams it's really really powerful very practical where people say I never knew that about you and suddenly you get a different level of relationship with one another when you you kind of tell stories about yourself to each other and I, I found that to be really powerful 
you can spend half a day on this stuff and it's it's really pays dividends yeah absolutely i think sort of i wonder if part of it is this whole notion about vulnerability when we share sort of parts of our lives and um you know moments that have challenged us in different ways then i think you know one the story enables us to connect with other people because we connect through stories don't we and um you know that helps other people relate to us um but also it's a bit about trusting that the people that you're going to be sharing it with are going to take that as you know something serious and they're they're not going to i don't know they're not going to share that inappropriately uh, and they'll they'll take it for what it's meant to be it's just simply sharing a part of our lives I, and i think that's the, i think the, the word the key word there is vulnerability Clive, is, is spot on you know this isn't about um you know quite often people think trust is about well i know how that person behaves therefore i can trust that you know they are this kind of character actually that's not trust that's just understanding that's just reading people um trust goes a level deeper and when you start to talk about stories when i'm in backstory um, what I mean by a backstory isn't necessarily a story of success because that just, you know, stories of success don't have the same impact at all um, because actually people feel quite, can feel quite, um, they can feel quite inspired by success stories, yes, true, um, but they can also feel quite intimidated by them. There's, there's nothing better, in my opinion, than listening to a, a story that went wrong that created a strength of character that then allowed that person to then be successful. So it's almost success through failure is actually quite an important story. And it kind of accesses something beyond our ego. It accesses who we really are, you know, when, when nobody's looking, who are we really? And it's getting to that kind of level of humanity that I think is really, really important rather than, you know, the big I am. Um, you know, this is what I'm like if everybody's watching. Now, you know, what am I like, you know, when things go wrong? Is is a much more um, inspiring and thought provoking um, climate that you're trying to create by doing that, and that's where vulnerability becomes really important. And that's not to scare the pants out of people. You know, this moderate vulnerability you start with, and that's why telling stories that are quite safe, but actually have an element of vulnerability to start to open people up is, is the important thing and, and another thing that helps there is um is personality profiling and i do a lot of that to build trust you know, i like myers-briggs for example i think it's the best tool on the planet other people use disc and and, and other things like insights but uh, for me myers-briggs is a very is a great tool for that other people use different things yeah absolutely i, I think personality profiling is brilliant um and um I also think about Belbin as well um, and the work that he did around teams is very interesting. Um, but yeah, DISC, um, but Myers-Briggs I think is probably my top one. Yeah, it's a, it's a favourite of mine because it goes so deep and it, it's so accurate. And, um, you know, again, it only pinpoints people's behaviours which are really related to how our personalities work through ego. Um, personality profiling never really maps the the um the authentic person within within a personality but you know for behavior and prediction on how people operate um unconsciously i i, I think personality profiling brings something to a team and it also enables people to get to know each other and why they behave the way they behave so in some ways you know if, if somebody um is 
is um, quite quiet, you know, um, in conflict, you might learn that actually that person's an introvert and is thinking about what, what's happened before they say something. So it's just understanding that some people are the way they are because of their personality. And that's really helpful, I find. Yeah. It was interesting as well. I was listening to you when you were talking about the stories and then just with what you were saying a moment ago. It seems to me that a lot of this is about perspective and we share stories to provide perspective. And sometimes there's a right time to share that. So if you're in the middle of a, like a really, really bad time, it's probably not a good time right now because you don't have the perspective to be able to, uh, to draw conclusions from that. It just feels pretty hard. But those hard times later on provide an enormous perspective. It influences who we are and our approaches uh, to life. And so it seems to me that there are some times in which perhaps you would deliberately share something, or share a story or, or something that's happened to you to provide perspective over the past. But also we have to be aware of that, the, you know, sometimes a team are going through things and they don't have the virtue of perspective. I, I think that's a great point. You know, again, with regular away days with, with small teams, you know, you can actually start. I love presenting powerful stories like that you know, because there's always an analogy or a metaphor you can use about something that's happened in the past or you know a similar thing that another team have gone through or something you read that you know, can be a benefit to the team just to provide that kind of perspective because when you're going through something you know quite often because we're so entrenched in it we it's very hard to see the wood for the trees so we, we get confused and being able to stand back with a story is really powerful because it helps people to gain that perspective as you're saying and i i, I think it's lovely um yeah and, and also you know something you just triggered in me there with, with what you've just said that Sometimes when things go wrong or a project goes wrong or something, we're failing to deliver something for whatever reason as a team, it's actually really important to have a kind of review of that. And whilst it can be quite painful because people are worried about fingers pointing, you know, if it's done in a, in a climate of trust with you know, a resilience and you've learned to do a little bit of feedback and you've, you, know, you've, you know how to, to handle conflict, then actually reviewing something that went wrong is really powerful so that you can learn, actually, these are the things that we all did wrong as a team or, you know, we, we hung that person out to dry and that wasn't fair. You know, it's never one person's fault. And it's really important to have that, that resilience as a team to be able to review something and kind of say, okay, where did we go wrong? You know, what were the things that we can learn from this? Um, in large organisations, we used to, and certainly for me, um, to really embrace this as leading projects, etc., to kind of have a post-implementation review of what we've just delivered, what went wrong, what went right, what was good, what was bad, what could we do better? Because that means the next time you come and do something, you know, to change the organisation, you know, you can do it well. And in small organisations, you know, we have to be quite agile and lean, and um, so we're always learning. And I think one thing that small businesses don't do very well is to to learn from their mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking as well that I've just been putting together an episode on Scrum project management. One of the things that I like about that approach is that um, the, the Scrum master, the person who, I mean, this is going to make a lot more sense when you bring out the episode, but the Scrum master, who's the person who kind of coordinates everything, they are more concerned with making sure that everything works right. And the whole notion is that if one person fails, the team fails. 
So it's, it's like a blameless thing, isn't it? It's just about like, hey, did we do this or not? It's not about who did it. It's just the fact that we either, we either did it or we didn't do it. And therefore, if we didn't do it, we need to unpick the reasons. But, you know, I love the whole notion about one person fails, we all fail. Yeah, and I think that's a team spirit, isn't it? And in rugby, you see that quite a lot, for example. It's just presumably where the word scrum came from. Yeah. Um, the team, you know, work together. And, you know, if someone um, fluffs a ball, then you, you can easily blame that person. But actually, why did that person fluff the ball? Were they feeling nervous in the team? Did they feel secure in the team? What's going on to make that person feel, um, you know, nervous, if you like, and fumbly? And, um, you know, there's all sorts of reasons. People have bad days as well, good days, bad days. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that go on in a team, but, you know, having that one team dynamic, I think is very important. Cool. Okay, so we spoke a lot about trust. Uh, obviously, trust is integral, isn't it? So uh, it's about sharing stories, vulnerabilities, perspective, and you said about personality profiling. I think that that's really useful because it, it helps us understand one another. Uh, the second thing that you said around sort of creating the right climate was handling conflict. Now, this is really tough to do isn't it when you've got perhaps team members who are not getting along or whatever have you got something that you can share with us on this andrew yeah so so um um back to um my my book again that you that you shared with your audience um there's a section that handles conflict and um actually what i find to be useful when you're dealing with conflict is to, to present models here's a model of feedback Okay, so, oh, sorry, conflict. Um, and to present a model can be very helpful for teams to have some context. So I, I actually quite like the Thomas Kilman model um, where he talks about um, five aspects of, of feedback. So uh, whether you compete, whether you, um, whether you avoid, whether you um, just allow conflict to happen, how you accommodate it, sorry, or whether you learn to be collaborative in conflict um, or whether you compromise. And, and each one of those has advantages, but it also has a default position as well. So some people default to conflict as their, sorry, to competition as their, as their mode of operation when they're feeling conflict. So I've got to win this no matter what. Yes. This is my idea and I'm going to see my idea through. Which actually in some circumstances can be very handy, but as default can be very destructive, I'm right, you're wrong type attitude. Likewise, just avoiding conflict completely, um, if people have that as a default, means that you know, they're, you know, in, in terms of uh, benefit, it's got the lowest payoff, if you like. Um, whereas conflict has some sort of payoff, but only really to you. Um, also, compromise can have some sort of payoff, but you know it's only a small payoff. Uh, we both share the payoff, if you like. And then there's the, the other part of conflict style is, is accommodating where I will let you win to preserve the relationship because I don't want to rock the boat, which in some circumstances you know, provides some benefit, a small amount of benefit, um, because it preserves the relationships, but it doesn't really tackle the conflict. So really the name of the game is that you know, actually to get people resilient enough to get into the top right-hand corner of those boxes, which is the collaboration piece, where actually two plus two doesn't equal four, it equals six, you know, 32, 64, you know, because when you start to, to build um, collaboration, you know, the, the sum of the parts um, are far greater than just the whole, as it were, or the whole is greater than some of the parts. I think that's the phrase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so you know, where you're working together, where you get something bigger. So in terms of benefit, you know, the maximum benefit you're going to get 
is is through collaboration, and just to have that as 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 a as a model to give people language and to say, okay, let's go around the team and let's you know with no judgment, let's just see where people fall in to these boxes. You know, who avoids who who goes into um, um, uh, competing, who goes to accommodating, who goes to collaborating, who goes to compromise, just as a default. So you can start to see that people are admitting, you know, again, building trust to kind of say, okay, you know, without any any training on this, I do fall into X, Y, Z box. Yeah. And, and then, you know, so a lot of these techniques that I use with, with teams are all about gaining awareness to get you to a new level, to take you to a new level, because as default, we all we tend to, as human beings, fall into one of those other three boxes, like competing, avoiding, or accommodating, or, or sometimes compromise. There's a fourth one. But very few people have natural ability or the natural resilience to, to collaborate, you know, off the bat. Very few people do. You have to learn how to collaborate. It becomes a deliberate, purposeful development into awareness. But you, then you can start to do that as a team. You can start to see just by using that simple diagram. And I tend to print it out and say, "Okay, you know, let's let's all work on this now. You know, who who are the accommodators? Who are the, who are the competitors? Who are the avoiders?" Um, you know, and then start that process of, okay, so very few of you in the collaboration spot, that's fine for now, but that's where we need to get to as a team. How do we get over there? And um, I find that to be a really useful conversation. And you can spend a couple of hours on this as a team, and it really does pay dividends because people suddenly have language for the first time. They're going, oh, okay, right. And then they can start naming it with each other so that in meetings when they are talking, say, you're competing right now and I feel like I have to accommodate because you're the boss and I'm the subordinate. So you can have those conversations, which I think then help to build resilience in teams. Yeah, I love love that. And and what you can do is you can think about these things on a graph between those that, uh, I suppose on one axis you've got the the level of assertiveness required. On the other axis, you've got the amount of cooperation. And you you said about you have to learn how to collaborate, and I think that's very true because I think that we're taught the wrong things when we're kids. You know, I don't know if it was the same for you, but certainly my parents always said to me, "You have to learn to share," and it's all about compromise. And you know, compromise is great, but well, it's great when you can't do otherwise, but usually what that means, when you have to share, for example, it means that one person's going to get something and the other person isn't. At any one moment in time, you're both, like either one person is losing out or you're both losing out a piece of something. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, 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 like, um, it's like you've got a medium-sized pizza. You know? Yeah. So, so you can, you, you know, if, if you compete, for example, you you have the medium-sized pizza. If you if you um, if you compromise, then you you both have to have a half of that pizza. And if you accommodate, you give the pizza to somebody else. You know, but and and avoiding is the small pizza. You only get tiny little pizza for that one. But the the big pizza, if you like, the one that's more shareable, is you know the grand size pizza that you can all have a slice of and you can all enjoy. But it's not compromise. And and I, I tend to find that teams um it, it is okay if you end up deliberately compromising because that just seems to be the right solution. Yeah. But it has to be arrived at and not as a default, let's just compromise. 
So I, I find compromise doesn't always work because it springs out of his box. If, you know, but uh, as a as a kind of uh, a mere solution, you know, it, yeah, it, it can have a temporary effect. But to to my mind, it's never it's 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 a deliberate place you have to go to because you can't. You know, there's no other way around, and so you end up. Um, compromising and that's fine you know or if it's something that's quite small and you compromise and you go, okay we can we, we can compromise on that but for the bigger stuff my my belief is that people go to compromise too quickly as a default behavior and the best way is to thrash it out and get to collaboration that doesn't always mean that um, everybody wins but somehow we all buy into it and it just works yeah so how do we move from compromise to collaboration how do we get to that you know that that win-win scenario and i, I think you can teach collaboration and one of the ways that i teach that is to to start to this is the the next chapter in my book talks about collaboration where you know do you want to be you know how do you move away from some of the behaviors which are less collaborative so i use a little simple exercise called foxes dolphins um baboons and sheep and really it's the top two the foxes and dolphins that's the leadership stuff um <clears throat> and you can either be a fox or a dolphin in leadership so so foxes tend to be quite competitive they want to win They've, they are very intelligent creatures um but they are they you know they have a, a reputation of being quite sly because they don't tell you really what's going on and in days of old and, and in lots of small micro business you do get fox leaders um because I'm right, you're wrong, you know, I go out alone, you know, I know best. These are fox behaviours, as we talked about before, when things start to go wrong. It's generally because there's a fox at the top. Um, Whereas, as a contrast, dolphin behaviour is very collaborative. You know, it's about understanding, it's about seeking to understand before you're understood, it's about sharing the story of what's going on for you, what's going on for Fred, what's going on for Steve. Let's hear everybody's story of what what this, how this issue affects them, for example, which is very much dolphin type behaviour. Let's share, let's let's share with each other because the resources are there for all of us. We don't just have to take, um, you know, um, we, we 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 can share. And I think that that's where dolphin behaviours are really smart. And the smart money in today's business is on is on much more. Um, you know, emotional intelligence, having soft skills, being able to understand each other, being able to listen. These are these are the qualities that are required to be a dolphin type leader rather than the fox. A fox is just all about ego um, and, and it's very hierarchical. And, you know, we used to see this in business quite a lot with fox behavior. And, and in fact, you know, we, business was all about being the fox. We've got to win and our suppliers will lose. Well, in today's world, that's not true anymore. You know, the best companies, even with their suppliers, are kind of going, okay, what will be a win for you and what will be a win for us? Let's find a price point that works for all of us here so we can all work together. And I think that's where, you know, the important money's on these days. So, you know, and, and I think you can, you can teach that. And I, I have a process that I go through to start to, if you like, show people what are good collaborative behaviours and good models. Yeah. And so the people that, that behave in that way is, is really important. Um, and having... Um, having role models or having you know material that helps them to see that. Uh, another way that I tend to 
produce this um, is to produce a team charter where people agree in terms of what are our behaviours, what are the values that we will instill together, what are the beliefs that we will have as an organisation, what's our mission, what are the things that we don't want to happen and what are the things we do want to happen. And all that can go in a team charter where you start to map out the rules to be collaborative. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's, that's really good because you've got this common language, a common agreement uh, that's something that everybody sort of opts into and, uh, you know, it, it takes ownership for. So I think that's really useful. I'd, I'd like you to talk me through that, Andrew, if you would. But before we do that, the third thing you said was about feedback. I know you spoke a little bit about this, but perhaps can you, can you give us a tip or two around how you give staff feedback without damaging the relationship? Okay, so feedback in itself is quite a complex topic. Um, And for developmental feedback, um, sometimes we need to go through a process to be able to give somebody some feedback of something that hasn't gone well, okay? Or, you know, a colleague is late, you know, consistently, for example, or um, they're argumentative or difficult with clients or they're rude or whatever. So there are specific behaviours that need to be tackled. Okay, yeah. now that, that in itself could be, um, and if you're interested in this, we could do a topic on that um, you know, uh, as, as a separate piece because there's a lot in there. Yeah, and we'll come back to it in a future podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be because it's a powerful thing and to get right is really important. I teach a lot of leaders how to do this, particularly in small organisations. How do you prepare yourself to give feedback to um, to an employee or a colleague that you know, um, needs some developmental improvement. Okay, that's the one thing. But there are other types of feedback, which I'll, I'll talk about in, in this session, which I think is, is important too. One is that we never give enough praise in our organisations. We're, we're, and there's something about Western um, culture or European culture that is a little bit averse um, giving praise-based feedback where actually we tell people they've done a good job. For some people that tends to stick in their throat and it's hard to say and I've found there's there's a huge amount of development for teams to just give each other praise-based feedback. Something that they've done well, something that you know, Fred has benefited from that Steve has done or Jenny has benefited from, you know, uh, Morris or whatever, you know, that actually we can cross we can cross talk those stories. Mm. I find that to be really powerful. Again, you know, it's like a backstory, but it's now a piece of praise-based feedback. Something that you, you know, for example, Clive, you know, when when I when you and I talk, I always find it really refreshing talking to you because you're always very upbeat and you ask some brilliant questions. There's a praise-based feedback for you. The <laughs> nice thing, you know, when we get that, and I'm just wondering now, I've just given you that piece of feedback. How does that make you feel? Uh, yeah, it makes me feel good. Uh, I, I, I'm somebody who thrives on just being told that, you know, that yeah. I've done a good job. And so uh, yeah. whilst I don't need trumpets and fanfares, that, that's, it's, you know, it's a nice thing. And, you know, I appreciate that. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, but just getting genuine feedback that's done without being sycophantic, you know, it's not done to yeah. be um, done very genuinely. Um, it, it's, it's done without malice. It's done without sort of uh, blowing um, you know, smoke at you. But it's done very genuinely, very honestly. You know, you feel good, I feel good. It's like hitting the sweet spot on a tennis racket. You know, when we hit the sweet spot on a tennis racket, 
I know I've produced a good serve. And because it goes over the net so well, you know I've done a good serve. And the audience know that was a good serve. Everybody knows. Yeah. And everybody appreciates a good serve. So everybody feels good with, with good feedback. So, you know, we, we both get a, a payoff. We both get a benefit. And I think that's, that's one thing that we can do really well in our organisations. Another thing that we can do well that takes a lot more resilience, but, you know, is, and I find to be very useful in high-performing teams is to give one another um, strengths and weaknesses feedback. So feedback on, on what your strength is, and, but also feedback on what your weakness is. And people find that really difficult. And you have to build trust. You have to understand conflict. You have to understand some of the principles of collaboration before you start to do strengths and weaknesses feedback because, you know, it does take quite a lot of resilience for someone to hear their thoughts. Um, but a good team will do this regularly. I mean, one team I was working with, they wanted to do this virtually every time I met them. Can we do that again? <laughs> Because they got so much value out of it, and each time they got deeper with one another. You know, when you first start praise-based, uh, sorry, uh, strengths and weaknesses feedback, you know, it's more tentative because people don't want to upset each other, treading carefully. But as they get more used to each other, they start to build trust with each other. They all give each other strengths and weaknesses feedback really regularly, and it, it becomes really powerful and useful. Yeah. There's developments of feedback that um, you know, one one easier than the other, both massively important. Yeah, that, that's really useful. Uh, and I was thinking as well that um, uh, when I read Dale Carnegie's book, uh, how, to re- uh, how, to, was it how to Win Friends and Influence People, yeah, uh, he was talking about giving feedback and, uh, and giving genuine praise. And I think the thing is, it has to be authentic, doesn't it? It's not with a view to manipulate or just kind of be smarmy or anything like that. It has to, it kind of has to come from the heart, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you know, coming back to fox um, and dolphin, baboon and sheep behaviours. You know, each each has has a, a certain behavioural trait. You know, if you're a baboon, then you give rubbish feedback because you know you you, you know yeah you, you you're just not sensible with it. Yeah. Sheep sheep kind of characters tend to be quite demure and, and not give um, any constructive feedback. Foxes will tend to be quite manipulative with their feedback because they want to benefit from it. They want to put you down so they can win. Whereas behavior is, is all about, you know, how, how do we both um, benefit from difficult feedback and good feedback? Yeah. And, and the purpose is to build one another up and to hold each other in high regard and not put each other down. No put downs is the key to strengths and weaknesses feedback. No put downs. Um, and, and that's that's again that's something that needs to be taught because it's really easy to put people down. And the other thing about a team charter, going back to that, is that actually no put downs can be a really important thing. That even behind people's backs, you don't put people down. And, and specifically, you're talking here about uh, personal comments. Yeah, you know, so, so in a room, you're you're you know you're all nice and buddy buddy with each other, but then you know the private conversations in the canteen or something. Yeah, but the trouble is with him. Da, 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 well, there's a put down, and you know, good teams will put will hold each other to account on that say hey you know we did promise no put downs you know we, we do that to each other um you know actually that's not genuine we no put downs you know so where we we try to understand people's behaviors and not criticize people for their behaviors behind every behavior negative behavior there is some sort of intention and it's getting to the that's important and yeah. that collaborating teams do yeah brilliant okay so i i want to get into this team charter i think that'd be really useful for us to share before we do that can you tell us a little bit of for those people who've not picked up your book yet 
Mm. I don't get it, Andrew. Sorry, it's not picked up the book to, to what, sorry? If, if somebody who's not got a copy of your book yet, how yeah. do they get a copy? And okay. how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can, um, they can go onto Amazon and uh, just type in uh, Developing High Performing Teams and they will see this book. So yeah. on Amazon to get it um you can email me andrew at pdx-consulting.com and if you want me to send you a signed copy i can do that um and um you know we'll just exchange um account details and so um you, you know i can get that to people so so and, and people actually do that quite a lot well I can have a copy of you but i want a signed copy how much is it so um you know i just charge the same price as amazon with with a little bit of um uh, posters and package so uh, you know added to it so um you know um so so everybody wins really yeah so that's the ways you can get it um so uh, yeah uh, uh, it's available it is available in some bookstores you can get it in waterstones i think um, depending on the waterstones, they're they're a bit weird these days. Book book um, book shops tend to—I don't know what it is about. Um, I think business books are hard to sell, and so you know, there's very little book space in places like waterstones, etc. Um, but it is—it has been in waterstones. My previous book got into waterstones, but not nationally. It got to some stores and not other stores. It, I, I don't know how the hell that happens, but it sells really well on Amazon, and there's some good reviews on it. So you know, if you want to check it out first, um, check out the reviews. Yeah, yeah, it's genuinely is is a very very good book, um, and I, I love the fact that actually both of these these copies you've signed them for me, and it's a, a really nice keepsake. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, some some people like signed books. I like signed books, and that's it's great hold of an author and, and get a signed copy so uh, I, I get why people do that excellent excellent so what i'll do then is i'll put a link on the show notes page to your amazon page um and uh, we'll we'll put a link there to you as well so if people want to uh send you an email and uh, get a signed copy then they can do that but right now let's let's <laughs> let's just jump into the last bit which is about how you do the the team charter. Team charter. So what what is a team charter and how do we go about doing it? Okay, basically it's um without sounding too highfalutin, it's a it's a written covenant, it's a written agreement or a code of conduct that a team work together to create. So it's it's a creative um uh set of words, if you like, that help a team to commit to one another. I tend to use a, just a, a sheet to, to, to work on. Uh, I often have a structure with it, um, and there's several ways of doing this. There's a, there's a complicated, a more complex way for leaders, or there's simpler ways where you simply commit to certain behaviours. Um, I, I tend to also like um, uh, a charter that kind of goes, okay, what's, what, what are our core what are core values as a team? Um, how do those core values get translated? Um, what will we do? What won't we do? And there's a very simple team charter where you work together on a set of behavioural rules and values that help you to, um, to collaborate well together. That might not necessarily be your core values as a company, although quite often they do tie up, but quite often it's about what are our core values to cooperate together, to collaborate together. Um, and then you build from there in terms of, okay, so if that's the core value, what's the core behavior? What are the things that we want to see each other do and to not see? Um, what do we want to outframe? What do we want to, you know, inframe, if you like? What's in, what's out? 
Um, also, some people tend to work on language as well. So what's above the line language, what's below the line language in terms of what's acceptable, you know, as a set of language that um, we will adopt and what language won't we adopt. So, for example, some people will say no put downs um, or uh, no bad language or um, um, no, no, I can't or I will try more. I can do. Yes, we will do um, rather than I can't do. So can-do attitudes start to in-frame. So how do we work with each other in, a, in, a, in an attitude of collaboration rather than in an attitude of uh, non-collaboration on, um, on competing or accommodating? Brilliant. So this is like a brainstorming session. and you. Yeah, it's, um, I tend to work on it. It can take a couple of hours with some teams, depending where they want to go with it. Some, some people, um, some, when I'm working with leaders, for instance, I this can take two or three days um, where you're working out a mission statement, you're looking at the behaviours that don't work or the unwritten rules, what is our culture, what's our culture made of, how do we want to improve that culture, um, how do we want to work together, how don't we want to work together, um, what are the behaviours we want to eliminate, what are the behaviours we want to encourage. So sometimes that can take a long time. However, generally speaking, you know, for most micro-organisations, uh, micro-businesses, you should be able to do that in a few hours. You know, half a day would be adequate to do something like that. And I find it a really powerful exercise because it gets people to think about how do we want to work well with each other. Yeah. And that set of rules. I remember one team that I worked, it was actually a leadership team, and they took this so seriously. They took three or four days to build this, and they, they kept revisiting it. When they were happy with it, they all signed it, <clears throat> and then they brought it to their meetings, and they pinned it on the wall to remind them of what their rules are when they're talking to each other. I think that's brilliant. It's, what we don't want to do is to have another one of these fancy mission statements that we write once and then ends up in a folder somewhere and you say to someone like, you know, what's your mission statement? They say, well, I think we've got one of those somewhere and, uh, yeah, we did have that. And we, you know, if you don't know it, you, you know, it serves no purpose. Uh, but let me just quickly recap over there make, make, so I can see if I've got everything right. So, the first thing you say it starts with core values and core values as a team, what it takes for us to, to kind of work together. So that's the core values. And then you said it's how those values get translated. So what does that mean in behavioral terms? Yeah. Or attitude and behavior. So, so you, where will we see this? How will we see that value being demonstrated? Usually that's in behavior and language. Yes. And and part of that was what will we do and what won't we do? Correct. So, so then to flesh that out is this is what we'll do, this is what we won't do. Yeah, love it, love it. And I particularly like this thing. I've never really thought about this before, but above and below the line language. And so what words are we going to be using? What words are we going to ban like the yeah. put downs? I love that. Yeah, fact that came from my wife's organisation, um, TSB, um, where, where they did some work on this. And I don't know the consultants they worked with, but you know, they developed this, this mantra of what's above and what's below the line in terms of language. And that has really helped them as an organisation to move on. And, you know, a year later, two years later, they're still using that language, you know, what's above and what's below, just to kind of benchmark how well they're doing with their customers. I just think that's brilliant. So there is a practical example of, of something that works really well in, in defining what's above and below the language, uh, below the line. Works yeah. really well. 
And this almost acts as a compass, really, for how we behave moving on. So this is not a, 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 like a one-hit wonder, then we forget about it. Uh, it's probably something, as you say, we're going to have to return to from time to time, at least to remind ourselves and to kind of recommit. I thought it was good that get everybody to sign, and they need to be participant as part of the process. Uh, so this is really great. Uh, for those listening right now, I just encourage you to uh, just take these, these elements that Andrew's talking about there, the core values, how they get translated, what will we do, what won't you do, the language above and below the line. And uh, you know, that's something you can do in your own teams. But also, if you want to get somebody like Andrew or myself or somebody else external involved, that's probably even going to be more powerful because you can have that facilitated um, and uh, you know, that everybody who contributes is going to be on the same level. Yeah. I, I just think that final point of yours is really important. You know, get someone to facilitate your team. And small businesses, you know, often that's missed out. And I think it's really, really important that you, you know, as a team, you work with an external person who can coach and develop you. And, you know, that's not forever, but, you know, for a time you'll need that person and um, you'll need them from time to time. This episode is made possible by you, the listener, and also our sponsor, WordPerfect VA. Grammar geeks, punctuation pedants and spelling specialists, WordPerfect VA is my go-to solution for whenever I want website copy written or reviewed. Your website is the front face of your business online. A virtual shop window. It's incredibly important that the first impression a potential client gets when looking at your shop window is a good one. But did you know that 85% of your website visitors' judgment is influenced by that first impression? If they spot bad grammar or poorly written content, the quality of your business will be judged just like a grimy shop window and your visitors will quickly move on to your competitor's site. If you'd like some copy reviewed for your website or publication and you're a business owner or author, check out WordPerfect VA. Visit wordperfectva.co.uk forward slash get real for your free five-page review. That's wordperfectva.co.uk forward slash get real. Big thank you to Andrew there for some of the models and ideas that he shared. Do pick up a, a copy of Andrew's book. Lots of models in there. One of those models that we talked about a fair bit today was the Thomas Kilman conflict model. What I'll do is I'll make sure that I include a little bit on the show notes about that, but definitely in the cheat sheet. There's a little guide for you around creating your own project charter. So what I've done is I've broken it up into all the different stages that you'll need to look at as uh, you facilitate such a discussion. And within those stages, what I've done is put a list of questions that will facilitate the discussion for you. And so it's like your starter for 10, and it should make the process a lot easier. If you've loved this episode today, then I wonder if you could do me a favour. Pop on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you found this and leave us a quick review. A five-star review would be absolutely awesome. It's amazing how just one or two extra reviews can make a massive difference in how much a show like this gets picked up. So if you've loved what you've heard today and you found it useful, then I'd really appreciate that you could do that. And if you want to carry on talking with me, then check out the show notes page. Details about how you can get involved in earning the right up till now earning the right has been my free facebook group incidentally this whole program was inspired by andrew a number of years ago Uh, but uh, now it's not just a free facebook group it's an entire free members program that you can join there's lots of resources there all the cheat sheets in one place from all the podcast episodes and a lot more as well 
So just go ahead to the show notes page at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 35. That's all we've got time for today. Next week, we'll be back with another guest and we're going to be talking about how to win business awards. So something to look forward to there. Thank you so much for being here and staying to the end. Take care of yourself. And until next time, here's to you and your highly successful business. 